You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand in his side. I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, you will have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my mind, and my lips as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your word, your good news, and not mine, and that the faithful may hear you in spite of my faults. Amen. This is a beautiful story. It's as simple and as deep as any parable. It's a story in two parts. A story in two parts that brings two questions and two lessons. The first part finds the disciples in fear. This group, and it's more than just the apostles, it's all the disciples that had gathered with Jesus for that last supper. They are in fear. Their world has been destroyed. Friday was an utter disaster. 
their Messiah was not a Messiah. There's just one more Jewish rabbi executed by the Romans. Everything that they had lived for and thought about and argued for was nothing, no more. Worse than that, they had been associated with someone who'd been destroyed, been executed as a rebel. They had some safety during that Saturday, the Sabbath, for they could be sure that no one would come for them then. But now it's after the Sabbath. And they're worried and they're afraid and likely ashamed. And then Jesus enters this place of fear. And his first words, it's not a question like he had with Mary, with Mary Magdalene, who are you looking for? Instead, it's a statement. It's a response to what they're looking for. His first words, peace be with you. His actions, he then does something interesting. He shows them his wounds. And they fill with joy. So this brings us to the first question in our first lesson. Who is it that Jesus is coming to? Who is it that's worthy of a visit of a resurrected Savior? Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber does a beautiful job of describing that. The doors were locked that Easter night for fear of what might get in. But the bigger danger came from inside the room, not out. They locked themselves in with all their blame and despair and shame. And Jesus will have none of that. I mean, the guy came to proclaim release to the captives and freedom to the oppressed. So it's here, sitting amidst fear and locked doors, amidst blame and justifications, that the disciples encounter the risen Christ. He crashes their pity party and messes everything up in a way that only an incarnated, crucified, and resurrected God can. And notice, she goes on to say, the text doesn't say that when they had repented of what complete asses they'd been, and when they perfected their faith and the purity of their doctrine, and when they'd finally become good people, then they were worthy of being visited by Jesus. No, he took them as they were, full of fear and, I suspect, more than a little shame, because it takes more than locked doors and low self-esteem to keep Jesus out. Well said, Nadia. These shamed and fearful people were filled with joy. And the story continues. Now we have the second part, the story of Thomas. As we pick up the action, we're told that Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. Do you ever wonder where he might be? Was he out getting supplies? Was he out getting intelligence to see just how bad things might be? Was he looking for an escape route? Turns out it doesn't matter. The point is that he comes back. And he enters history as doubting Thomas by what happens next. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by his nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. He's an apostle. He's been with these others three years, and he's not buying it. Eight days pass. 
Now, can you imagine how Thomas would have felt? For eight days, he's probably hearing nothing except that they were privileged and he was not. They were telling him and he wasn't buying it. Eight days. Eight days. And then Jesus returns. And when he does, Jesus does not upbraid Thomas for a lack of faith. He doesn't accuse. Instead, just as before, his first words are, Peace be with you. And then he gives to Thomas exactly what Thomas had asked for. As he did before, he meets Thomas where Thomas is, in the middle of his fear and doubt. And Thomas responds in a way that the others didn't. Thomas says something that the others didn't say. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hands into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. Now, we don't know whether Thomas actually took Jesus up on that. I suspect not. But I'd like to think that what happened next was a hug. Was Jesus picking Thomas up and the two of them hugging. And here is something important. Jesus did not judge Thomas's lack of faith. Instead, he let Thomas come to him. And Thomas did what none of the others had done. In naming the wounds of the cross and then in seeing the wounds of the cross, Thomas named Jesus as God. This is the first time Jesus, the Christ, is recognized as God. So this brings us to the second question and our second lesson. Why the wounds? Why in his resurrected and glorified body does the Christ still bear the wounds of the cross? It's the first thing he does. Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So this doesn't seem it was done just for Thomas's benefit. Rather, it seems that these wounds are integral to who the risen Christ is and what the Christ proclaims. It's important in that he's taking the disciples as they are. He's showing himself as he is, as a wounded Savior. And I think that's where the lesson is. Christopher Beha, a novelist, writes that faith is not something one can simply choose to do. I would add that faith is not something we can catch from someone else. Mary could not experience the resurrected Jesus for the disciples. And the disciples could not experience the resurrected Jesus for Thomas. Thomas had to make this personal connection with Jesus for himself. And he did it through the wounds of Jesus. In doing that, Thomas became the first Christian, the first to profess the risen Christ as God, and he does so through the wounds of his Now, what does all this have to do with us? We need, I think, to bring this, these lessons together. The lessons of Jesus coming to those as they are, and of Jesus doing so with his wounds, showing himself as a wounded Savior. Let me suggest that we can only come to know Jesus, that is to believe, by looking with compassion on the wounds of others 
and of ourselves. This is the work of being able to see others, no matter who they are or what they have done or failed to do, to see them as God sees them. Frankly, it's the only way to love our neighbor, much less our enemy. And it's the secret of enabling us to see ourselves as beloved children of God, no matter what we've done or what we failed to do. We're all wounded. Some of us grievously wounded, wounded by others and wounded by ourselves. And that's what sin does. Sin wounds deeply. The sins of the world brought the wounds of the cross. And he took sin upon himself, Paul tells us, and became sin. So it's no wonder that what we do to ourselves and to others leave wounds as well. And this is what Jesus does. As Nadia summarizes it, so Jesus barges into the fear and locked doors of our fragile humanity and shows us the very wounds of God, wounds that bear witness to the crazy, beautiful love of God for us. I think that this love in wounds act of Jesus explains some of the things that he says that I find are strange. Recall Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, as three things to them. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That's a commission to go out and love and serve and to understand we may be wounded in that effort. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's to tell us that you and I are armed with God's help. That's what makes us as a broken people wounded in sin, makes us together a church. Unlike social clubs and fitness clubs or political parties or other organizations created to bring people together with similar likes and dislikes, the church... The church of Jesus Christ collects people, collects us that don't naturally fit together. What binds us together is not our goodwill or our shared interests or even our shared visions. What brings us together is what we share with Thomas. Our doubts and the spirit of a risen Christ who takes us as we are. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. This is not a declaration of power or authority. Recall the Lord's Prayer. We'll say in a few minutes, forgive me as I forgive others. Now, I don't believe Jesus is giving power and authority to these disciples. He's doing something else. What he's doing is giving a strong injunction to forgive, to forgive even the wounds that Jesus forgave those who wounded him. So that's what we're to do, to see these wounds in others and in ourselves and with God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit, to see Jesus, the risen Christ, as God in those wounds. And with that, to receive the faith and forgiveness he promises. And that's so important when we've wounded ourselves. 
That's what Thomas did, and that's what made him the first Christian, and that is what makes us Christians too. And that is the good news.